0: yes sir good morning good afternoon good evening depending on where you are listening from this is the voice of a b melchizedek your servant serving you all the way from the uk today we will be talking about how to read the bible today but before then i just want to tie up a few loose ends from the previous episode on the context of the bible there was something else i forgot to mention and that is the fact that when you get to ezra where they were building the temple if you go to ezra five if i quickly open that now ah, ezra should be after second chronicles and if you go to ezra five Verse 1, it says, Then the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, the son of Jehuzadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them. Helping them, this is important because those two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, they are also books of the Old Testament, and th- that is the particular context of their own ministry. So, they profess they prophesied at a time the temple was being rebuilt, that's why you would see references to Zerubbabel there, uh, particularly in Haggai. And then, if you go to uh, Zechariah, you see references to Zerubbabel as well. But then you see references to joshua the high priest Zechariah 3 and Zechariah 6 if i remember correctly so yeah that those are um, the context of those books now how to read the bible to begin with i would say there are no there's no science or there's no iron cast rules or there are no iron cast rules to it you know in terms of how to read it now in terms of how to interpret it you know the field of human hermeneutics that's another conversation but what we are talking about now is how to read it how to read it uh i remember reading reading a joke and I'm, I'm just rolling my eyes i often tell people the first rule of cracking a joke is you never tell them oh i heard this joke because now everybody's ready to laugh and if they don't laugh you're in trouble well if you're just dropping the story randomly you know if it's funny people laugh if it's not funny you move on you know anyway i've backed myself into a corner now but i read this joke uh ages ago by the way It was about this woman who, the way she did her Bible study, is she would pull out books from the Bible at random. She would uh, pull out verses, rather, from the Bible at random. You know, she would just pull out three verses, read that, say thank you, Lord, and go about her day. So, on this day, she wanted to pull out her verses as usual and then she pulled out the first verse and the verse read so judas went and hanged himself and then she pulled out another verse and he read go down and do likewise she pulled out the third verse and it says whatever you do do quickly So I mean it's a little silly story there, but I mean it's sort of represents a classic way people read the Bible. I mean, half loaf is better than none, it's better than nothing, but it's not it's not a very and I don't say this derise really, but it's not a very intelligent way of interacting with the Bible. Just opening a chap a chapter at random, you read it and then you satisfy yourself that oh, I've read my Bible today. You seek that box. You know, because we never do that with any any other document. A rule of statutory interpretation or inter or construction of legal documents is that a provision of a document must be interpreted in context of the whole thing. So you can't just whip out a legal document and say, "Oh, clause this says this." It has to be interpreted in context, the overall context of the document there's no other book we do that with you don't you don't open uh, oliver twist or *Lord of the rings and you start from the middle read a few bits and then close it no we interact with it intelligently and this practice is not helped by the fact that there are chapters and verses in the bible now in the originals there were no there was no such thing as a chapter or a verse it was just a book an entire book so in the book of the book of isaiah for instance was just one massive scroll containing the whole of isaiah in just prosaic form there was no chapter one chapter this that's why you never see jesus quoting scripture or paul quoting scripture in terms of who he says in isaiah 53 verse one and all of that no you would never see that so how did how they reference scripture was by the events therein so jesus asked the sadducees how come in the burning bush passage god said to moses i'm the god of abraham the god of isaac the god of jacob if there's no resurrection from the dead so that was jesus quoting scripture but based on an event not based on chapters and verses because the chapter and verses were put by people to facilitate references. I mean, it's good. It has a specs. You could easily find things. You could easily refer people to things. You know? But. It means it affects the way we read the Bible. Because sometimes the chapters and verses are in unnatural places. So a chapter might start somewhere but that chapter is actually a continuation of a previous chapter you know so those are some kind of things we those are the things we have to consider when reading the bible i mean it doesn't work well with us because an epistle is just a full-on letter you know so technically you could put the chapter and verses anywhere it doesn't really detract it or affect how you read it but when it comes to books like the prophets you know that's where it becomes a bit uh yeah it, be, it becomes a bit of an obstacle in in some cases another uh just as a general point is um you know let, let's try not to bring in our own ideas or preconceived notions into the bible now it's difficult it's difficult. We are human beings. There are lenses through which we see things. And I remember, for instance, a kind of church I grew up in, really, really damaged and impaired the way I saw the Bible for a very long time, the way I interpreted the Bible, the way I read it. And it took a lot of reading and a lot of, you know, on learning of so many things I had learned initially. So that is why, and and again, the Bible is so wide a book, so rich a book, that it could be made to say anything. And that's why we have to be very familiar with its overall message and its overall context. you remember our earlier discussion of how you interpret a legal document? Provision in context of the whole. So what happens is a lot of the time people have ideas. You have an idea first or you have a point you want to make. Then you look for a scripture to back up that idea or back up that point. And the problem is you would always find a scripture that will do that or that can be used to do that. Is It's where you sit back, look at it critically. You ask, mm, you know, was that scripture actually meant to say what I used it to say? And it becomes an issue. And we see some extreme examples of this in progressive Christianity, for instance. They call it progressive, but I mean it's the most retrogressive thing on the planet. The most retrogressive and perverted thing on the planet. So, for example, I was listening to this genius preach. Well, not preach, I mean he had a TikTok video, I think. I don't want to mention his name because I don't want to give him give him more clout but he said he was reading john 11 when uh, lazarus, uh jesus raised up lazarus and the words jesus used was where lazarus come out. and somehow this genius was saying that you see that uh, jesus was trying to tell those in the lgbt community to come out to stop hiding in the closet they should come out as who they are they should come out and step into the light of who god created them to be and in this guy's twisted fantasy what god created them to be was exactly what he destroyed sodom and gomorrah for but again i said okay you know what i'm going to play this guy's game if you look at luke 13 there's a woman that was bent over and jesus uh, told her to stand up and he says the woman was made straight so i have an example of jesus making a gay person straight as well if that's the game they want to play so it's just a stupid uh, uh, I, I i yeah i don't know sorry sorry I, I get a bit emotional when i discuss these things because uh is bad enough what you are doing but when you try to make the biblical jesus an ally you try to appropriate him into your madness and impurity and your depravity you know it becomes it becomes a sore spot for me but anyway yes uh that is very crucial knowing the overall message of the bible and being very careful not to have an idea and then look for a scripture that backs up that idea because for the most part you will find you will find it. Another thing I would say is um be careful about relying entirely on resources or devotionals. So again, I mean according to robert lyadon he has one quote i love very much he says a man of god is at best a man you know men have inherent limitations we may have the best of intentions in the world but we are inherently limited we are a product of what we experienced growing up we are a product of our experiences and that finds a way to seep into the gospel we preach and into how we see the Bible as well. So men have their biases. They say in part, they know in part. And these biases find their way into their theology. So if you use a resource, one resource or a devotional, you know, chances are that you will be taking in those biases that are popping up in the writer's theology as well. You know, I will be stupid to think there's not an element of my own. Um, I don't want to use the word bias because I don't do it consciously if there is any. But there is a reason why I'm big on a lot of things. So there's a reason I'm big on grace and on salvation, not being based on your works. It's true, first of all, because I mean, Paul said it's good to always be zealous in a good thing so it's good to be zealous about the truth it's true but there's a reason i'm hot on it and the reason i'm hot on it ties in with this point perfectly so i remember when i was uh, growing up in church there's a devotion I we always used. you know uh, being from africa we respect men of god you know men of god are basically like god to us which I mean, if it's deserved, it's not necessarily a terrible thing, you know. Give or not to whom honor is due, and I will say that this person who wrote this devotional is—he was—I hes an honorable man, no, no, doubt. You know, this is a man who has been doing ministry for about forty-something years now. There is not one scandal in terms of you know a woman popping up somewhere saying he did this or that, he stole money. He's a man of integrity. He's a fantastic man. And he used to write these devotionals. But he had this notion of being born again, where because you are born again, you just don't sin anymore. Because you are born again, you become perfect, so to speak. And this was because in his that was his experience as a born-again Christian. You know, he was a drunkard, he was a womanizer but the moment he became born again those things dropped instantly that was his experience am i saying that's invalid no but at the same time not everybody would have that experience there are people who are born again and they have years of just walking through things they have things they still struggle with you know so because then, and I was reading this thing as a young boy trying to honor God the best I could. I was reading this thing, and the more I read this, the more guilty I felt, the more aware I knew, I, you know. I, to me, being born again and getting into heaven became absolutely impossible because of these devotionals that I was reading, because of this man. And it was a complete mess. You know, I just said, look. Uh, obviously, I'm going to hell. I might as well, you know, walk away from this Christianity thing. I'm never going to be worthy of being saved. I'm never going to get there. Now, even till today, mind you, there. Obviously, I'll be stupid to to think I'm a good person or I'm fantastic. There are still things I struggle with, but I know I'm loved you know i am not embracing the things i struggle with i'm not saying oh look it's is part of who i am and it, it, therefore is correct and no, no 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 it's not i'm in christ and in christ my identity is different but at the same time salvation is a work jesus does and it says whoever calls upon the name of the lord to be saved you are saved by grace through faith not of yourself is the gift of god so that nobody can boast nobody thought nobody taught me these things i had to look at it myself from the bible and i had to unlearn years and years of the legalistic condemnation and baggage I had been ingesting based on this devotional. So that is why till today I can die on the cross of grace over the law. On the cross of the law is not for the believer today. Those are true crosses. Those are true heels to die. on. But I'm extra passionate about them because of my own experiences. You know, so the point I'm making is Don't rely entirely on resources or devotionals. Read the main thing. Drink from the stream. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Who come. Drink from the waters. Why don't you heed that invitation? Finally, I will say God told me is a no-no for a Bible study. And I mean, this may not be something that comes up a lot in the uk where i know that based on my own church experiences in the uk anyway but i know in africa is something that happens a lot somebody is apparently teaching the bible and he reads a verse and he says god told me this is what it means that's a run away from such a person no that is never correct what god told you is for you and it's between you and him it's not it can never be for everybody in terms of interpretation for a passage of scripture so you you say god told you this how do we know we were not there how do we vet it how do we confirm it how can we test it first john says test the spirits whether they be from god how can we test it that said the bible is a living breathing book yes the bible has spoken to me personally several times yes you know recently i was very angry with somebody <laughs> very very angry and then i was reading the book of jonah and i got to that part where it says do you do well to be angry that, that's the book of jonah so uh, it was god was talking to jonah with that verse but something redirected that verse to my heart that you as a person do you do well to be angry with this person but then i can't now take that and announce it on this podcast I look you know that book of jonah is what is god is saying to everybody no no it wasn't it's what god was saying to jonah and what he chose to use to speak to me at that point in time so when it comes to a bible study stick with the bible you know don't hack into dreams you cause to be dreamed as jeremiah puts it he that has a dream let him tell a dream he that has the word of god let him speak the word of god faithfully remember the the intro to the podcast as a whole we said in Revelation 1, 3, it says, Blessed is he that reads and they that hear. There's something the Bible is saying to he that reads. There's something the Bible is saying to they that hear. So God told me "Is he that reads. A Bible study is for they that hear. As a corporate body, as a group, and as his church. So that said, how do you approach reading the Bible? And this is where I will revert to my earlier opening sweeping statement that there is no science, there is no art to it. Really, there's no there's no hard and fast rule. But these are just suggestions. So the first way is you could read it cover to cover, like a book. You could read it cover to cover. like a book it's a good approach you'll get coverage over the whole thing you have an idea you have more of an idea what you know the bible is saying you get familiar with it but the downside to this is number one it may likely take you too long to get to the new testament and in particular, the epistles, and the epistles is what is actually written to us as Christians today. In some parts, is even expressed. So Ephesians one three talks about you know to the saints in Ephesus and all the faithful in Christ Jesus. There's another one I, I think is either first or second second Corinthians that is written to those who in every place call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. So the epistles are written to you but if you read it like a book starting all the way from genesis then it may be difficult to um get there it may take you long longer to get there the second downside to this is that it would be Easier to, um, it be easy to get lost in the minutia and not see the big picture. So, for example, in I think it's First Chronicles, in Ezra, in Nehemiah, you will see some very, very, very long genealogies you would literally want to eat your ears out while reading them. You know, in numbers, I think. There are other genealogies as well. So it may, by the time you get bogged down in that, it may, be easy, it may be difficult to zoom out and then see the whole big picture once you are zoomed in. But again, I mean, to be fair, I think a good chunk of the work was done in um, the last episode the context of the bible i highly recommend you give that a listen uh, you could go on medium there's a, i have an article there as well on uh, the context of or the bible as it relates to christ in 10 minutes i think that's the name of the article so you could go there and give that a read as well uh, so that's sort of sort of does the does the work in giving you a an overview of the whole thing but yes it would be tricky to do that if you read it like a book another way to approach it is you could do a book study so you study a book of the bible verse by verse you know you read a verse what does it mean you analyze it look up the historical context look up as many resources as you can find on it you know and that is good because it's the best way to get the context of books however the drawback with this is it gives you it works it it works for some books it works not so well for some books so the more narrative books yeah this will be helpful epistles this would be very helpful as well you know you do the book of romans verse by verse do the book of uh, galatians verse by verse the book of first corinthians verse by verse that's very helpful but it doesn't work for all books because some books are not written to flu logically so the prophets for example the context of the prophets will be within the kings. So if you don't know what's happening within the kings, you will struggle to read some of the prophets. So you will struggle to read Isaiah. If you don't know what happened within the days of Uzziah and you know those, all the kings he prophesied in the time of Dito Jeremiah as well. And the prophets, the way it's written is not chronological. It jumps all over the place you know and that's the way that's the way the prophecy came we, we are not blaming them for being clumsy that's how it is you know uh, Isaiah says let's, let me let, let's read Isaiah's commentary on this very quickly Isaiah 28 off the top of my head if I remember correctly uh, why do I feel I'm wrong already let's see. Here we go, I'm correct. Isaiah 28 13. And it says, But the word of the Lord was to them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and caught. And verse 9 to 10, it says, whom will he teach knowledge and whom will he make to understand the message? Those just win from milk. Those just drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Now, this seems contradictory. But if you look at the whole context, it's saying that that came on purpose. So that he would be in the position to teach people one. And then, secondly, to confuse those outside. <laughs> to confuse those outside. And it was just like the parables of Jesus. It was confusing to every other person except his disciples because he explained it to them at the end of the day. You know, so there is, my point is, yeah, there is method behind the quote unquote madness in how the prophets are written. But it doesn't flow logically. So, unless you know the surrounding context it may be tricky same thing even as much as i said it works for the epistles there are some epistles as well that you need context from other books so for instance in hebrews you will not really get hebrews unless you understand leviticus and exodus you won't really understand hebrews So, yeah, pros and cons here. Yeah. Pros and cons. Uh, another way to approach it is by way of character study. So, character study is you pick up a Bible character and just follow that character all through scripture. Pick up Abraham in Genesis. You know the promise that was made unto him follow him through to isaiah where his reference say look to abraham your father and sarah that bear you you know trace him through to hebrews you know to john where he said abraham rejoiced to see my day trace him through to hebrews 11. see what that says about him trace him through to romans 4 where it talks about his faith you can get to you know track every reference to them and this this is this is helpful because like um, it personalizes the people you know, a lot of the time we see bible characters as you know supermen with giant s's on their chests you know and they keep behind them but no these were flesh and blood people who went through temptations they went through trials they went through things they didn't understand they lagged they were not always strong in faith you know it it, it consoles you that you are not alone in your struggles and your in your walks with god i remember for instance uh, david if i pull this up very quickly this may not blow your mind, but like it wows me. I remember the first time I read it, and it just wowed me. Uh, I think it's Second Samuel five. Just trying to remember where this is now. I think I'm correct. It be Second Samuel five. Mm, I may be wrong. One second, I'm coming. Um. Uh, uh, yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Second Samuel five. <laughs> second Samuel. Second Samuel five. Twelve and thirteen. It's talking about David, the man after God's own heart. Uh, Let's start from 10 for just a bit more context. Now, I mean, not awfully much, but just a bit more context. So David went on and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Isn't this beautiful? i read it again. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. What a wonderful thought. What a profound moment. What a moment of, you know, pristine High falutin spirituality, you know? What pure thoughts. And then verse 13, And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem (laughs) after he had come from Hebron. So this was the man that, just one, one verse earlier, you know, he was thinking of his high and lofty thoughts, how God had set him up, how God did it because of Israel. And then the next verse is chasing women again accumulating wives, accumulating concubines. And I just thought to myself when I read, I said, you know, how accurate is that? That even we as like Christians today, you know, one second, we have these beautiful moments with God. We have this realization. You know, it's just like Abraham as well, you know. In Genesis 15, he had that powerful encounter with God where he was in a dream and then God caught a covenant with him and made him a promise. Genesis 16, I mean, Genesis 15, the promise was that he was going to have a child, you know? Very deep experience. And then Genesis 16, what happens? He listens to the voice of his wife and sleeps with with one of his servants to conceive Ishmael because he didn't believe he would have a child. You know, so those highs and lows of our spirituality is always so comforting, you know, to know we are not alone. And that even the men that God loved so much, that walked with Him so closely in the Old Testament, they were subject to these same mental vacillations and prevarications in terms of their spirituality as well. You know, so it helps to humanize them. And we could also get to see how these characters, like, foreshadowed Christ, how they walked with God and things like that. But the downside to it is you know we we unless the character we are studying is christ and that would involve studying the whole bible because the whole bible is christ but we won't get the full image you know there will always be something lacking there will always be some shortcoming and the goal of christianity the goal of the gospel really is not that we must these are shortcomings or we say well i'm only human and things like that is that we strive to get better, you know, we strive to reflect that image of Christ. But a character study will be incomplete without knowing how Christ is the goal, and without knowing how Christ is the context, and without knowing how those characters pale in comparison to Christ, how their shortcomings is one that is not found in Christ. You know, so We that would be a shortcoming of approaching the Bible using a character study. Another shortcoming of using a character study is that you know the nuances between the old and new covenant might not be clear. You know, it will not be very clear. So, for instance, if your ministry today is you are a prophet, there is a nuance between an old testament prophet and a new testament prophet. But this will not be very clear based on just reading the story. So if you are studying Elijah or Elisha or Jonah, for example, it won't be clear exactly how, how the covenants they were under influenced their work and the way they did things. You know, That's just something to bear in mind. Um, another way to go about it is by way of a word study so you take a word or a concept from scripture say faith you study it the greek pistis how many times is it used what context is it used in you know how does it translate from the hebrew you see the word patience you see the word love you see the word trier you know, and then you could study these to get a lot of value out of it. But uh, the downside to this is it may be for more advanced students of the Bible, you know, and before you start getting bogged down into word studies, you may want to know what the word, as a whole, the Bible, says first. So it would necessarily not be your first part of call. Um, so, I mean, I'm aware here of raised more questions as i tend to do on this podcast a lot of the time and i, I apologize for that is i tend to raise more questions than i answer but i'm just like giving you general pointers getting your mind working getting your brain jogging on um ways of approaching the scripture rather than telling you this is how you do it you know um so yeah that said a few pointers um i think first of all it's not a bad idea to pray before you study the bible before you read the bible you know if you go to psalms 119 if i can pull up that verse very quickly psalm 219 verse 18. it says open my eyes that i may see wondrous things from your law you know when only god can open your eyes that's why paul said uh, ephesians 1 i think 16 to 20 particularly 17 if i'm remembering correctly say so i pray that god would uh, open the eyes of your understanding that you may know the hope of your calling so only god can open a person's eyes to the bible Say we with open face beholding us in a glass the glory of god are being transformed into that image from glory to glory even as by the spirit of god so only god can open a man's eyes It's not a bad idea to pray before you start secondly there are good translations and there are terrible translations of the bible that's another thing to be aware of so obviously there's a there's an inherent limitation in translations just because of how languages vary you know so it's it's not an exact estimate really there's a wider context a good way, a, a way to think, well, maybe not a good way, because it won't be helpful to everybody because not everybody listening to this would have traveled abroad. You know, but if for people who have traveled abroad, you would understand this to some degree. So, currency translations, for example, you know, it's easy to go on Rwanda um, or go on Bank of England and you see oh uh a brazilian dollar is 150 pounds or whatever yeah and then it's easy for you to do that translation mathematically but when it comes to the practicalities of spending that money you would now understand there's no way to really translate currency i know a lot of you would have lost me but that's fine you know i mean it's fine but my um, I, I, yeah, it's, it's it's a very niche niche illustration, but the people who get it will get it. But yeah, it's that kind of idea as well that goes with translations, because there's like an entire language within which a word functions. So it's difficult to transpose an idea here into a, a language with a different context. So point is, yeah, there are translations that do this well. There are translations that do this not so well personally i always read from the new king james or the king james but that's not to say it's the best translation or anything There are other good translations but then there are translations where i don't know translation like the message bible for instance i'm not a massive fan unless you know what the bible actually says you know i think the message is a bit too casual and it loses Which, I I mean, I I get what it's trying to do, but it comes at a cost, really. And the cost is losing the flavor of the original, kind of, you know? So, yeah, you want a good translation. ESV, for instance, is good. KJV, NKJV. Well, NKJV, you know, KJV is more rhythmic. But, um, yeah, when it comes to the epistles, KJV is not that good in terms of how we translate the epistles um so yeah esv is good uh amplified is good as a secondary translation you know you have a translation you want to read and know what it says and then amplified can be a secondary translation message as well can be a secondary translation Uh, you know um yeah because there are translations that have agendas as well so they pick a translation of a sentence that is not faithful to the original but bodes well for the agenda so in terms of like whether women can lead in church and things like that you know there are translations where it's not represented faithfully you know because they want to make it look like the bible endorses women leading in church now i'm not commenting on that i would say yeah there's there's a wide debate on that as to whether women can lead in church you know i have my own personal opinion on that which is that it's fine but i acknowledge the position of people saying look according to the bible you know that is not supposed to be so well again that's another debate for another day but the point is yeah you have to be aware That some translations can have their own agenda and that would impeach your own bible study because obviously you want to know what the bible says as is rather than somebody embellishing a translation based on what they think if that makes any sense so yes um you did a good translation The translates hebrew to english greek to english and things like that. Another point is resources are not bad. Yes, we did say don't rely entirely on them, you know, but they are not bad as well. And as much as possible, try not to use one resource. So, for example, um, Dick Dick Bible. I use Dicks myself. Uh, Dicks, I think, is the KJV one I use, but then if you observe Dick carefully. It's very big on you know this matter of eternal uh, what they call it again? eternal salvation. So once saved, always saved. It's it, it come it, it's always clear to come against that theory or that belief. You know of which I think it's not entirely correct. Once saved, always saved. But at the same time, I think. I, I mean, in a nutshell, my belief on salvation is that it can be lost, but it's not as straightforward as we think. It's not; it's difficult to lose, what it can be lost. That's my take on it. I may be wrong on it, but I have my scriptural reasons for saying that. You know? But uh, my point is, Dick's Bible was just so against this once-always-saved thing against this one saved, always saved thing, that it would interpret verses that are clearly not about losing salvation in terms of losing salvation. You know, so anyway, my point is, yeah, in using resources, you just have to be careful and watchful about their biases as well and their nuances. Another point is you cannot do it on your own there's a reason we have the we have the five-fold ministry uh say give gifts unto men for eleven of Ephesians, if i remember correctly apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers so you need that five-fold ministry there is and especially that of a pastor you need to be planted in a church and I think all things consider the next season of the podcast, which might be the final season, anyway, might be. Um, no, sorry, the next two seasons of the podcast. Um, no, sorry, what am I saying? The next season, <laughs> the next season of the podcast, yeah, which might be the final one would be on, like, church. Because people tend to think, oh, I'm saved. What do I need the church for? Eh, you do need the church. The church is a pretty important part of your Christian walk and of your salvation journey, you know? So you can't do it on your own. You are going to need a good shepherd to teach you. Not the good shepherd, which is Christ, but a good shepherd. A shepherd is a pastor. So a person with a shepherd's heart to really teach you the scriptures as well. You need to sit down to listen to... Somebody who has honored God's calling on his life and has made it his full-time mission to impart the word of God to listeners. First Corinthians thirteen, we say impart. We know impart. Nobody knows everything. Nobody knows everything. First Corinthians eight. I strongly believe either three or four. He says, "If a man thinks he knows anything, he doesn't know it as he ought to know it." So nobody knows everything. Finally, be open. Be open. And I say this in two senses. Be open to Scripture, in the sense that, number one, a passage of Scripture you've read hundreds and hundreds of times could just open up in another way, and you just see something new from it. So you have to be open to that you know so that's the first sense i'm saying the be open the second sense in which i say be open is there are things you would read in the bible that may sound weird to you and that is just because we're in another culture and we're in another time so we are the weird ones (laughs) not the bible You know, I remember when I came to the UK. I have, uh, you know, I became. I mean, yeah, as as you possibly can tell, based on my viewpoint and how I see things, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't have friends. I don't have many friends, anyway. But, um, I became close to like a group of people you know and i just found them to be very weird you know these guys are always they want to go on walks they like dogs they are drinking tea 24 7. i said what's wrong with these people why are this are these people just so weird the way they talk the kind of jokes they like this they are dad jokes and they are terrible puns and things like that you know so why are these people so weird these people are just so weird until we had an office social in at, in 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 my place of work and when i sat down in that social everybody at work was doing the exact same things i thought my friends were weird for doing they were laughing at the same kind of jokes we are obsessing over tea we are talking about dogs we we're talking about walks and all those kind of things we we're drinking beer Because the UK is a very, they love beer a lot, you know? And it was in that moment it occurred to me that, oh oh my goodness, I'm the weird one. (laughs) (laughs) These people are not weird. This is their culture. I met them here. So I can't expect them to behave the way I think they should be behaving. It's their culture. So I'm the weird one. You know, and that's a, that's a very healthy posture to have when you are reading the Bible and you see certain things, whether it's in terms of, you know, how patrilineal the society is, whether it's in terms of certain instructions that we are giving, whether it's in terms of certain analogies God draws, you know, it's a different time. It's a different culture. And the people in that culture got it. They understood it. So it's not the Bible that's weird. It's we that are weird. And a lot of the time, we are weird because of the garbage culture has funneled down our truths. So culture is craving equality. You know, let there be equality. Let there be equality between men and women, for example. But yet, if a woman is pregnant, it behoves you as a man to give up your seat on a bus for her to sit down. You know, in that sense, ooh, you know, there's never, there's never holding on to the equality when it comes to that one. You know, if a woman has a baby, we let her take a decent chunk of time off work. You know, but if a man takes a stupid amount of time off work because he has had a baby, I mean, of things are changing. In the uk and in advanced nations anyway but i mean you can't expect a man to be given the same level of off a woman will be given where then is the equality then it's always fine in those instances but when it comes to ooh, equal pay for equal work and all those kind of things yeah, everybody all of a sudden becomes a feminist and i've triggered some people by saying that there but <laughs> back to my original point is that a lot of our culture is weird, and it has funneled very weird ideas on our head. So when we come to the Bible and we don't see those weird cultural ideas, you know, we tend to think the Bible is weird, but no, we are the weird ones a lot of the time. So as always, that has been fun doing this. I cannot remember the last time I had this much fun recording, to be fair. And I hope you've had just as much fun listening uh on at this junction i say life is short in the context of eternity nothing else matters uh, except what you do for god and the kingdom take care and god bless you